especially since then. All right. Oh, okay. That's pretty much what we're saying, yep. All right. All right, so uh, as most of you already know, my name is Jeremy, and I'm the uh, pastoral intern. And as part of my duty uh, of doing that, besides getting Eric coffee whenever he needs it, which I don't, so I guess I'm already doing a bad job, um, I also get to preach quarterly. So this is the last day of the quarter, so I'm preaching. (laughs) He told me yesterday, so just kidding. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just read the scripture that we're going to be jumping in today, and then uh, I'm going to pray and we'll uh, jump in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to start in verse 21. It says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, And be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's the word, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just uh, come before you now and ask that you would open up our hearts and our ears to your word, that you would help me to speak uh, well your word so that people are challenged to grow in their faith and uh, in awe more of you and your goodness and your willingness to come and sacrifice yourself to save us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, When I was younger, when I was like a teenager, I always dreamed of being in a band. That was a big dream of mine. Most of you who knew me as a teenager know this because it's all I talked about. And um, I would look at these bands and they'd be, you know, they'd be touring and they'd be, uh, you know, playing shows and they'd be recording albums and they'd be doing all these things. And I, I would look at that and I would go, I want that. And I want to get there. And I want to be there right now. Right? And what I didn't know is all the work that went into being in a band. You have to write music. You have to write songs. You have to put up with record labels who tell you what you can and cannot write about if you sign to them. You have to deal with tour managers and guitar techs. And there's just a lot of under-the-hood work that needs to be done in order to uh, be in a band. It's something that... um, it's something that I didn't know about at the time, and I didn't expect would take to, to do that. Uh, another thing, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to school to be a pastor right now, and obviously I'm the intern, and so I get to watch Eric a lot. And um, something, something that Eric's always been really good at is coming up with sermon illustrations. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that. You'll be talking to him. Even in a one-on-one conversation, it's like it comes to him like this. It's not the case for me. It took a lot of work for me to come up with a sermon illustration opener even this morning. It's something I'm still practicing in my and, – and really what I want is I want to be where Eric is now, not looking at or uh, thinking about what it took for him to get there, all the work that he had to go through, all the studying and all of the life experiences he had to have in order to get to the point where he could just, oh, well, this, and then here's a story about that that will help relate to you and help it make sense better. I don't know if you guys ever experienced that with Eric, but that's something that I actually admire about him and hope to uh, be able to do myself someday as I gain more experience. And, and so I saw him and I looked at him and he was in a place that I wanted to be, but I don't always think about what it takes to get there. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking, again, we're going to be looking in Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew 16. And before we can do that, I need to give you guys a little bit of context. Um, the Gospel of Matthew was written... Most likely by a guy named Matthew. Those scholars still debate that. We don't know for sure. And it was very much, uh, it, was, it was written to a very Jewish audience. And the reason we can say this is um, it's the most, it quotes the Old Testament the most out of any other gospel. It quotes the Old Testament a lot. You hear the words, this was to fulfill Old Testament scripture. And, and really the biggest theme of this gospel is that uh, what the author is trying to get at is that Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Jews were looking for. He's the one. He was the Messiah. And in, when we get into the actual text in Matthew 16, up until this point in the narrative, um, and we're going to be look, we're, I'm actually going to start in verse 13, not 23, or 21, sorry. Um, to help us understand a little better the pivot that happens in this text where it goes from Jesus, um, you know, beginnings, it gives the genealogies, it gives the birth of Christ, it gives his childhood, it gives the beginning of his ministry. And then right here, where we're looking is where it pivots and it begins to talk about what he's going to have to do to save us. All right. And so in order for us to understand that, pivotal shift in the story, we have to go back a few verses, starting in verse 13. It says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and so in this day and age, people would look at Jesus, and from the outside, he pretty much probably looked like a prophet. And that's why they would have uh, you know, said that about him. They would have said, well, yeah, he performs like miracles, as some prophets did. He teaches boldly and with authority, as most prophets did. So it seems that he would most likely be a prophet. And, and from their standpoint, that's all they would see, and that's what they would see. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, being Simon Peter, boldly came forward and he replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Now, something to point out here is up until this point, no one had outright said that about Jesus yet. The narrative itself had mentioned it, but in the story this far, no one has said up until now that Jesus is the Christ. And contrary to popular belief, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's his title. What? I know we're shocked. And, and, and so for the first time, uh, it's said out loud, you are the Christ, you are the promised Messiah, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you have to put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute. Your rabbi, your teacher, this Jesus, who you just said is the son of the living God, the, uh, the Christ, has just said some pretty nice things about you. So you have to imagine that Peter's like, the rock, yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that, yeah. The rock, the, uh, I am Peter, the rock. All right, cool. And so you can imagine that he gets a pretty big head from that. And who wouldn't? I know I would. And then, so, as we move on here, we got our context a little bit. We have noticed that Peter here in this particular narrative has just proclaimed for the first time that Jesus is the Christ. And now we jump into where the pivot takes place, and it starts in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, right? So right there, that from that time, Jesus, this is where the pivot goes. This is where it shifts. And, and for the rest of the story, it's leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. The rest of the story, from that point on, Jesus is now heading up to Jerusalem, uh, to die. From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And what we see here is that Christ has now, is now revealing to them that in order for him to be this Christ, he has to go and suffer and he has to go and die and then be raised again. Now, and something that I realized that I missed, and I'll go back and explain real quick. The Jews had expectations for the Messiah. They expected their Messiah to come and uh, take over and beat up the Romans and kick them out and restore Jerusalem to its former glory. That's what they wanted. They wanted the Messiah to come and save them from the Romans. Now, right away. And so when Peter proclaims, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, that comes with those expectations. And so now for Jesus to come and go, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to have to die, and I'm going to have to be uh, risen again from the dead, it's going to throw them off a little bit, because that's not what they were expecting. They weren't expecting Jesus to have to go and do that. And, and I can imagine, as the disciples are hearing Jesus say this, um, well, it's kind of like Zach. I'll pick on my son. He, um, if I tell him, okay, Zach, I need you to go clean your bedroom, and then you can play on your Nintendo Switch. All he's going to hear is, I'm going to play on my Nintendo Switch? 
right? He gets excited and, but Zach, no, you need to clean your room first. It's called selective hearing. He didn't want to hear the first part. He didn't want to hear, uh, or he chose not to pay attention to because he was so fixated on, I get to play on my Nintendo Switch. Now, just imagine that with the disciples, probably the opposite, because they have just heard that Jesus has to go and suffer and die, and they probably didn't hear the, and be raised from the dead. Because you would think, he mentions it pretty bluntly, that they'd be like, wait, you're going to raise from the dead? Hold up here. But no, they were so focused on the fact that he was going to die that they were thrown off by it. And so uh, big-headed Peter jumps in. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. See how this goes. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So, remember, Peter has just been called the rock. Not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but the rock. The foundation I will build my church on. And he has a big head. He's super excited. He's super, Peter was very zealous. He put his foot in his mouth more times than we can count. And he walks up to Jesus and he tells him, like, no, no, no. May it never be. It's an emphatic, like he walks up to him and goes, this is not happening. This cannot happen. No way. You are not going to do that, Lord. And why was that? Peter expected something different from Jesus, the Messiah. He had an expectation that they were going to roll up into Jerusalem on a white stallion. Of course, they rolled in on a donkey. And we were going to take over. We're going to kick the Romans out. And we're going to, uh, we're going to reign and rule together forever. That was Peter's thoughts. Majestic, uh, power, all that. So for him to say that he's going to go and die is polar opposite to what he was thinking. And so he zealously jumps forward and he rebukes him. And so, kind of going back to what I said at the beginning, Peter was looking ahead for Jesus to be the King and Messiah. Because is he wrong? Jesus is going to rule and reign, right? Jesus is ultimately the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is going to reign and rule. And someday, everyone is going to bow before him. Like, you're going to bow willingly or you're going to bow. See what I'm saying? That's going to happen. But he didn't see what Jesus had to do first to get there. He didn't expect it. And so in his rebuke, in his zealousness, and in his ignorance, he jumps forward and goes, No, may it never be. This is not happening. And Jesus responds. But he turned to him and said, or he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so here's what happening, uh, what's happening. One, poor Peter. He's just gone from high road, I'm the rock, yeah, to get behind me, Satan. That's quite the uh, blunt, like, wake up. And there's multiple reasons that Jesus did this. All right, He, he did it, one, to call Peter out in his bold ignorance. Like, Peter, quit being so zealous. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And the other reason that he did it is because um, 
If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he started his ministry, he had to go out into the desert and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted by Satan. And I just wanted to read it for you quick to kind of help you understand what's going on here. 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the first temptation we can look at and we can see that the temptation for Jesus from Satan, Satan's tempting him here, and he says, see this rock? You could just snap your finger and turn it to bread. You're God. You can do this with ease and you can show off your power right here. It'd be easy. You could eat right now. You're so hungry. You haven't eaten in 40 days, Jesus. Make some bread. The temptation for Jesus here then is to take the easy way out, right? It would be super easy for him because he's God to just snap his finger and turn a stone into bread. And it would probably be pretty good bread, I'd imagine, especially after not eating for 40 days. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of a temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So then the second temptation then is for Christ to go up onto the pinnacle of a temple where everyone would see him. And for him to jump down and command some angels to come and catch him. Because wouldn't that be a showing of God's power and God's majesty? I'm the son of God, y'all. I can command angels to catch me if I fall. That's the temptation. Again, it's ease and a showing of his power. Uh, Satan is tempting him to, to do that. And Jesus says, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. The third temptation, again, Satan says, you can have everything. All you have to do is bow. And that's easy enough, right? In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the Hebrew language doesn't even use uh, bowing, but more of even just a nod to the head, just like a little easy, quick nod, and it's all yours. So the biggest temptation here for Jesus out of all three of these temptations is that he is going to get the kingdom the easy way, right? Because, and, and that's the reason, that's another reason that, you know, going back to 16 is, is another reason that Peter is called Satan. Because he is going back to uh, this temptation that Jesus feels. Jesus was a human who felt temptation. He felt the temptation to do things the easy way because he could. He's God. He could snap his fingers and make stone into bread. He could command angels to catch him. 
He could have the kingdom and rule with power and majesty and greatness if he wanted, and all he had to do was uh, do it the easy way. But that wasn't his mission, was it? He had to come down and do it a different way, in an unexpected way, in fact. He had to come and suffer, and he had to come and die. And and something that I found uh, interesting as I was studying is that, like, we can bash on Peter all day for rebuking his rabbi, which is a very bad idea, by the way. And even in that day and age, it's very unheard of for disciples to bash on their, or to, to um, rebuke their rabbis, let alone rebuking the Son of God. But the, the hardness for Peter in this is a couple things that I noticed. Is one, Peter cared about Jesus. And when we care about someone, we don't want to see them suffer, right? And so then it's almost like I almost understand why he did it. Because he didn't want to watch his rabbi, someone who he loved dearly, suffer and die. He didn't want to see him do the hard thing. A lot of us don't like to do that. We don't like to watch other people suffer and do the hard thing. And so he rebukes him. And then he says, you are a hindrance to me. So again, Peter goes from being the solid rock to being a stumbling rock, a rock used to make him stumble. Because again, this is going back to the temptation for Jesus to take the easy way out. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, we see Peter here. He had an expectation. He, he, saw, he saw Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior, the expected king. But he didn't expect it to come in the way that it happened. He expected him to, again, roll into Rome with ease, drop the Romans like that, and be done with it and rule. That's how he saw it. He had no idea. He did not expect it to have to come via death on the cross. First uh, Corinthians one eighteen says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The idea of us being saved via death on a cross is foolishness to a lot of people, right? Um, I have listened to a lot of... Uh, you know, I like to listen to, like, uh, atheists talk on podcasts and stuff. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I just want to know why they believe what they believe and stuff. And, and, and I listen to them talk about it, and they just cannot comprehend the idea of um, the cross and the death and the resurrection being something that's worth as much as we say that it is, right? Because as believers, that's, like, why we're Christians, we would not be here today with not for the cross of Christ. The idea of suffering is like bonkers to them. They can't wrap their mind around it. And so as we look at this text, we can see that, one, as we're heading into the Easter season, we can look at Jesus and we can see that he is the willing 
sacrificial lamb who is willing to come and die to save us from our sins. Because we are wicked, sinful people who need Jesus, right? And he's willing to come and do that. And yet he's also human and he's tempted to not. Right? He was tempted to take the easy road. It would have been super easy for him to do that. But he didn't. He took the hard road and he suffered and he died. But then he came back. And he did it all to save us. He did it all to make us new creatures who could worship and make much of him. So what do we do with this? If you read on in the next part of the section... Jesus keeps talking, and after he rebukes Peter, he turns to his disciples and he says, uh, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, So then, a part of the Christian life is not... Oh, let me rephrase this. Jesus didn't just tell them that he had to go and suffer and die. He told them that um, he's calling them to do it as well. He's calling, he's calling them to follow after him because they're going to have to do the same things. And if we think about the life of the disciples after Christ uh, you know, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, they didn't have an easy life. Peter was crucified upside down. John was boiled alive in oil and uh, stranded on an island until he died. Like all the disciples went through these brutally hard deaths. And, but they did it willingly because they were serving their Savior. And this is not like I'm not telling you to go out and be a masochist and look for uh, ways to suffer for Jesus because that's, no, that's not what they're looking for. That's not what, what we're supposed to do. So, a couple of, I guess, things that I thought of as we get ready to close. My timing is perfect because it's almost 12. Um, Something we can look at from this text is we can look at Peter, one. Uh, I love the Bible because it just portrays people so realistically. Like, it doesn't beat around the bush. It doesn't uh, paint the heroes to be perfect like a lot of other religions do. It's real. Peter was a human. Peter made a lot of mistakes. He had a lot of ups and he had a lot of downs. Um, Peter was the guy who, you know, did these things. He, He proclaimed Christ, but then he got rebuked by him and then he denies him three times, right? But eventually he also is the first guy to preach the gospel after at Pentecost, right? And he converts like a thousand people. But that's not the end of it. He's not perfect after that. He eventually uh, has to get rebuked by Paul in his ministry to the church later on. And, and so for us, we can look at Peter's life. And one, we can go, God never gave up on Peter. God's not going to give up on us. If you look at your life, it's going to be full of ups and downs. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin badly. But God, if God is gracious enough to forgive Peter and continue to work in him and make him into the man of God that Peter eventually became, he's going to do the same for you. So we can be encouraged to be like Peter, but also to not be like Peter, right? 
We don't want to be like Peter because, you know, sometimes Peter took himself too seriously. We don't want to do that. And the other thing we can do is, again, we're entering into the Easter season. We can look at Jesus and we can be in awe of the fact that he was willing to come and sacrifice himself to save us. He felt temptation like we felt temptation. He had the power to do something with ease, and he didn't. He took the hard road. And a lot of times in our lives, we're going to have to do the same. And, we can, um, and, and so then we can also just stand in awe and worship God because he, um, instead of taking the easy road out, he, he went to the cross and suffered and died to save us. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time that we can open up your word. Pray that you would challenge us to grow. Pray that you would uh, help us to glean from this word that you are a God who is willing to sacrifice yourself to save us. And may that bring us joy and may that uh, help us to just step back and and see our need for you. And uh, yeah, thank you for this time. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.